welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. I'll meet you there here in just a few minutes. Now, I have made no secret that dogs are vastly superior animals to cats. Amen? That's right. Now, if you're a cat person, I want you to know we still love you. God still loves you. He loves broken people who are wrong about things all the time. You know, that's, that's okay. But dogs are vastly superior to cats. That's just a fact. Because cats will tolerate our existence as human beings. And dogs live to serve, don't they? Like if you go, if you go get a dog, you buy one or go pick one up from the Humane Society. You pick up a dog, you give this dog a house, you give him his little bed, you feed him, and then you affirm this dog. You know, everybody knows. I don't care who you are. If you see a dog, what do we all do? Who's a good boy? Every last one of us. If you will do that for a dog, this dog will dedicate itself to you for the rest of its life. In return, this dog will always be happy to see you. It wants nothing more than to make you happy. He loves to be with you and this dog will protect you. Cats do none of that. Not a bit of it. Now, I want to be careful of this transition because I don't, I, don't want to compare, I don't want to compare us to dogs. But here's what I see with dogs is dogs become part of the family and then dogs give back to the family. That's, that's my personal opinion, all joking aside. That's my personal opinion. My personal opinion. But here's where I'm going with this. As followers of Christ, we are a lot like, I love y'all. We're a lot like dogs, okay? Please don't be insulted by that. That's not meant to be insulting. Here's what I mean. Christ adopts us. We become his children, not because of anything that we did, but because of his goodness and his love. He provided a way for us to become his. And he gives us salvation. He gives us all these good things. He allows us to serve him as good, good God. And in return, what we should do is we should be willing to serve and give back to God. As a matter of fact, it should be a desire in our heart. And what I want to talk to us about today, what the scripture is going to bring out today, is, is that not only should we be given back to God, but that God wants us to give back to him and that he has given us the opportunity and the ability to give back to him. If you're just joining us, we've been in a series the past several weeks called 24-7 in 2024, and I will never name a series something with that many numbers in it ever again. You have my word on that and my promise. But this series is talking about, as we start the year, what are the things we want to be a part of us 24-7 that we want to be doing all of the time? And we started out with kind of a deep dive on the Great Commission from Matthew 28. The Great Commission says this, is that you and I, as God's people, as His church, were given this mission to go two things, to do two things. One of them is to evangelize, to tell people about our Savior and what it means to be one of His, to, to follow Him with all of our heart and try to pull other people with us. And we talked about for 2024, our focus, what we want to grow in in this year is we want to reach our household, that each one of us has this realm of influence of people that we can leverage relationships within for the gospel's sake. But that's not the end of the mission. The mission 
mission is not just go out and see if you can get people to Christ. The mission is once people come to Christ, the second part of it is, is that we are to disciple them and teaching them. And we talked about last week what Jesus defines as a disciple. And so what we want to be when we talk about being together as a church is we want to be disciples, followers of Christ, who make other disciples. Amen? And we build up other disciples. Jesus defined a disciple as someone who is committed to God above all else, someone who abides in the word, and somebody who lives within Christian community, loving other believers. And we define that here at Ramsey Heights. We define that as adore God, bridge gaps, and cultivate the kingdom. When we say we want to make disciples, what we are communicating is we want to make disciples who adore God. They bridge gaps, which means building relationships with other people. But the third part of that is we want to make disciples who cultivate the kingdom. Disciples who work in the kingdom. Disciples who who do something to give back to God. who, Who in their commitment to God begin to grow God's work in this world. Now, when we say that, that brings, that brings one obvious question, is when we say we want to cultivate the kingdom, we have to ask the question, what kingdom is that? What, what, what are we talking about when we say the kingdom? And we borrow that language from Jesus himself, who when he taught and he preached, he continually referenced the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Those two terms are interchangeable. Matthew prefers kingdom of heaven. The other three gospels prefer the kingdom of God. But we see in some places in the scripture, Jesus will use them both back to back to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Here's a couple of examples of this. Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 1. I will meet you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But in Mark chapter 1, Jesus says this. He says, the time is fulfilled and the The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Luke 2.32, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There are many, many, many verses where Jesus references the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that can bring confusion to us. Because when we think of a kingdom, we're programmed earthly to think of like a country. Something that I can identify on a map and say, this person is in charge of this area. Here is their flag. Here are their borders. That's what we think of when we think of a kingdom. But as usual, when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching so far above our shallow understandings. He's talking about something completely different. When he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about an earthly kingdom that you can pull up and say, here is the kingdom of God. Here's Jesus's, uh, Jesus's kingdom on this map. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about something that is unseen, that can't be found on a map, that has no borders, that has no capital, but it does have citizens. In Luke 17, Jesus is explaining this to people, and and people are like, well, what is this kingdom? I can't see it. Where are you going to be a king? Where's your throne? And Jesus says this. He says, you don't even know. The kingdom is already in your midst. This unseen kingdom of heaven is amongst us, and if you're a citizen of that kingdom, It is within you. See, an earthly kingdom is land that is ruled by a king or a ruler. But the kingdom of God has to do with the human heart. The kingdom of God is the hearts of those that know him, that believe in him, that have trusted in him for salvation, that are committed to him. Our heart is his kingdom. 
And I know some of you are here today, and you're, you're, you're let's be honest, you're still trying to figure this Jesus thing out. Like, like you're interested, there's something that's pulling you to it, but you're not just really 100% sure of it. And I want you to know, our goal is, is to, to bring you to Christ and let you know how great our Savior is, so that you can experience what we've experienced. Because for those of us that have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we are citizens of this kingdom. We're adopted into this family. And the price for us to be adopted in this family was provided by Jesus Christ on the cross when he paid the debt for our sins so that we could have access to God. He took away what separates us from God, and he now gives us this invitation. Be a part of my kingdom. Be my child. I will give you eternal life. And he offers it to us for no other, no other cost than just choosing to accept it. And once we do that, we are now a part of his kingdom. We are part of the world in which he rules. You guys see that? Does that make sense? So here's your first take-home truth today. Is, is that God has paid the passage and invites us into his kingdom. And when we talk about cultivating the kingdom as citizens of this kingdom, because we were invited, because we were adopted, because we see this as a good thing. We, we don't see God as some like dominant leader who came in and conquered and now we are subservient to him. We see him as a God that chose us and we chose him as well. And so when we talk about cultivating the kingdom, it's simply this, is that I see something good in what God is doing. I see something good in what God has done in my life, and I want to share that with others. I want to share that with others that are in my family. I want to share that with friends. I want to share that with kids halfway across the world that I don't even know. I want the kingdom of God to grow because I know what it meant to my life, and I want others to experience what I've experienced. And, and so what we're going to talk about today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the conditions that God allows us to create for the kingdom to grow. I want to be clear, you will never save anybody. You will never personally add anybody to the kingdom. That is wholly a work of Jesus on the cross and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But God allows you and me to create the climate around people which may open their heart for the gospel. It allows us to create the opportunity for people to have a place like this to come worship. That's what cultivating the kingdom is, is doing our part to help God, or not to help God, let me take that back, doing the part that God has assigned to us as he does his part. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me give you some context. This, this is talking to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth is um, a mess. Corinth is like the ancient world equivalent of Las Vegas today. It is sin city. It is the worst place on the earth. And you have in this city the ultra rich and the ultra poor. And out of this sinful society, out of this differences of rich and poor and people from all over the world, God has begun to create his church. And people are laying all aside and saying, the number one thing about me is not if I'm rich, not I'm poor, not where I'm from, not what I've done in the past. The number one thing about me is that Christ is my savior. And you have people from all walks of life that are now being connected in community based upon that one thing they have in common. Now, just because we're saved, are we perfect? 
No, some of you had kids got saved and they were still horrible. <laughs> like It didn't change them. You're like, no, it doesn't work that quick. Because they're still humans and they're still sin nature and they're still growing, Paul writes this letter to address some of the issues that come from having all of these different people in the same place. And in the context of this verse, specifically what he's going to talk about is jealousy and fascination with spiritual gifts and a desire for the prominent, glitzy, glamorous spiritual gifts that some people have. And here is the basis of Paul's teaching. The important thing is that what binds us together, and this goes to us as Ramsey Heights too, it's not just them at Corinth, but it applies to both of us. What binds us together is one God. We are all a part of the same family because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the differences among us are for his glory. When we find differences with people in church, that some people have some talent, some people have some skills, some people have some opinions, those differences ultimately culminate for God's glory if all of those different people are together. Now, the underlying context of this, to understand what we're going to today, the subpoint is that everybody has unique abilities, and God gave us unique abilities for the purpose of serving Him. Okay, so that's where we're at. If you've got your Bible, this is verse or chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read verses 12 through 19. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he has pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I know what you're thinking. Like, what was that? That's why I don't study my Bible at home, because that is confusing. Let's see if we can make some sense out of what Paul's doing here. Paul is going to illustrate a point about the church, about citizens of the kingdom, and he is going to use the example of a human body. And here's what he's going to say is your human body has many parts. He calls them members. You could also translate that as limbs. Your human body has many different parts to it. All of these parts serve a different function, but all of them have one thing in common. All of them are your body. They all share the same DNA. Your ear and your kneecap have one thing in common, and that is your particular DNA. Your big toe and your heel have one thing in common, that is your particular DNA. They're all part of one body, but they're all different, and they all serve different functions. He's going to use this as a metaphor for what he's calling the body of Christ, which is, which is us, me and you sitting here. And he's saying that we have a common DNA. You and I have this common DNA of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us, but we are inherently different. And he's going to go on and use this metaphor to explain why are we different and why is this a benefit to God. He says, within your body, God has created and placed each part of your body where it needs to be. Have you ever, have you ever thought about the fact that God sculpted our bodies for the ultimate performance? What if God had to put our eyeballs on the bottom of our feet? 
Like that, that would be horrible, right? Having to walk on your eyes and get dirt and dust in them, that wouldn't work. What if God had to put your hands on the back of your knees? That's not functional, you know, trying to eat like that. Oh, here's one for you. What if God had to put our noses in our armpits? Some of you guys would shower a lot more if he had done that. But, but he, he didn't. He put them in a particular place for a particular purpose so that they would all work together and to perform different functions. Your ears hear, your eyes see, your feet move us. Paul goes into these very general things, but we could go even deeper. Your heart pumps blood, your, air, your lungs breathe, your big toes are used for balance, and your little toe is designed to catch the coffee table every time you walk through the house. That's what it's there for. And he uses this as a metaphor he uses this as a metaphor for you and me as part of one body that we are different. We don't all look the same. We don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same abilities, but we all have the same purpose. We have the same purpose, but we're different. Your second take-home truth is this, is God has equipped us to build his kingdom. You are equipped in a specific way to do something for God. I'm going to be honest with you, that looks much different than the person sitting next to you. You may be married to someone, and your purposes for God could be completely different. He's equipped you to do different things. Now, let's continue reading our scripture, verses 20 through 26. This is Paul. He kind of he argues in a circle. So verses 20 through 26, we're going to skip those because he's just reinforcing his point. Pick up with me at 27 through 30, where he's going to explain in depth the metaphor. He says this, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healing, help, administrations, variations of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles do all have the gift of healings do all speak with tongues do all interpret but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I will show you a more excellent way so Paul carries this metaphor a little bit farther and he's going to start to list different types of ways that God has equipped the different parts you and me of the body and he's going to say look there's apostles some people are called to be prophets some are teachers some have the ability to do miracles some can heal some can speak in tongues some can interpret tongues and I want to be clear these are real abilities that were very visible in the early church just because they're listed here doesn't mean you should expect to see them today the point here though is that they're all different and they all serve the same purpose and that purpose is, is that when we come together, that with our different abilities, with our different giftings, with our different enablings, we cultivate the kingdom. See, the point here is God equips people to work, but God also equips people differently to work. Your next take on truth number three is God has equipped each of us uniquely. God has equipped each of us uniquely. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is not FYI. I don't want you to go home today and go, oh, God has given me something that I can build his kingdom with. That is great mental knowledge. That is the first starting point. Our challenge today is if God has equipped you with something special to build his kingdom, why don't you use it? If God has given you the ability to do something for him, why don't you pour that out and lean into that and begin to build his kingdom? And, and I want to say this. This isn't a challenge like, hey, you guys aren't doing enough. Get busy. This is awesome. The God of the universe chose you 
He gave you a particular ability for you to give back to him. He knows who you are and he knows what purpose he has for you. Listen, you are loved beyond measure. The Bible says God is love. We can't even understand God's love. I can't even define it. I love God's love. I also like to be useful. My wife and I, we love each other. I'll be honest with you. I would be miserable if I was not useful to her in some way. And yet God has made us useful to him. He's given us abilities in which we can use for him. Uh, when I was in college at, at Arkansas Tech, we had, uh, we had this thing each year. It was called Battle of the Halls. And, and what this is, is every dormer, dormitory had a name, and you got to know the people in your dorm. And in the spring, they would have this giant competition where all of the different dorms would put together teams, and they would compete. I lived in Massey Hall, which was the absolute worst one. But, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we're so horrible, we're proud. You know, kind of like being a Razorback fan. Uh, that was bad, sorry. Uh, but, but, but we were so excited. And so we had this competition. And they put out this list, like every night was a different set of competitions. Like one night that was skit night, like we had to get together and write a skit and an act a skit, and then that was judged. They had like, like sports, you know, of course I was very helpful with the sports, that was me. Um, nobody asked me to be on any team. We need 100 people, not Brian. Um, we had all of these different things that we did, all these different con uh, competitions. But one night was pool night. And pool night, part of the competition was all of these different uh, um, diving competitions. And so one of the competitions was we want the most creative dive. And so we at Massey, we went to Jeff, who was our resident crazy guy. And was like, hey, can you do something cool and creative off the high dive to get us some points in this competition? He's like, yeah. And so we get to the pool and he shows up full Spartan gear, including the sword. And you guys ever seen the movie 300? Okay, well, anyway, there, there was a movie that came out at this time, 300. It was about the, the Spartans, the 300. And, and uh, one of the scenes is where one of the Spartans goes flying, and he just dives with his sword back behind his head. And so Jeff climbs up to the high dive, and off this high dive, I've never seen anybody do it. He dives straight out, and goes, this is Sparta, and slashes the water. Got a lot of points. One of the competitions was uh, who could make the biggest splash. So we went to the guy who, uh, how do I say this nicely? He was qualified in water displacement. And we asked him to jump off the high dive. And he did. And there was this huge splash. And then one of the competitions was the littlest splash. And so they came to me because back then I was skinny. Like you could see my, you could see my backbone. Not from the front and the back, but from the front. Like I was that skinny. And so they came to me and said, hey, can you jump in and, and not cause any waves? Like, well, no problem. I do that every time I get in the pool. But see, each of us was different. And we used our different abilities to come back together or to come together for the same purpose. This is what the Bible's saying about you. Some of us are, this is a bad example, some of us are crazy. Some of us are qualified at water displacement. Some of us, you can see the backbone through the front. It doesn't matter. You have a skill, a talent, and ability within you that God has plans to use in you. And it looks different than everybody else's. The context of what Paul's talking about here is that in the church at Corinth, they had begun to look at the, the kind of the big visible gifts. And they'll be like, I want to be like so-and-so. I, 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 I wish I had that ability. I wish I could do the thing where everybody looks at them and goes, oh, but I just have one of these, these gifts that nobody sees. And Paul's saying, God chose you. And he puts you where he needed you for your purpose. And so somebody may have some ability that gets them a lot of attention, but you're just as important. 
As a matter of fact, I would argue, and this is an opinion, this is not scripture, I would argue the people who work in the background, who do the unseen, the unthought about, and the unappreciated, do more for the kingdom of God than people who are at the forefront. That would be my argument, because they do it for no other reason than for, than for what's in their heart to serve God. So your next take-home truth, we're going to begin to talk about this. How has God equipped me? I want to talk about how you may be uniquely equipped. Let me take a bite. Well, mess that up. I want to talk about how you are uniquely equipped. Your first, your first point there, point A, is that God has gifted me to serve. God has gifted me to serve. Paul here in this context is talking about spiritual gifts. I don't have time to teach a whole lesson on spiritual gifts. Here's what you need to know. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit is within you, and the Holy Spirit will begin to change you. If you are truly saved, God is on this process of changing you. He shapes you. He starts to rub off all of those rough patches. He convicts you of sin. You should be different now than you were a year ago than you were when you were saved. And God willing, if he delays his return, I hope we're all different a year from now as we have grown in him. One of the things the Holy Spirit does within us is will give us spiritual gifts. What a spiritual gift is, is that this is when God works through us. Okay, it's God in us doing something that is greater than we are. And so he'll give us an ability that is beyond us. I've said this before. I believe with all my heart, God called me to stand on this stage and teach that Bible. That's what I believe. And that shocks me because not very long ago, I was so shy. I've told you all this before. I could not order at a drive through until I was 20 years old because I was so shy. And yet suddenly there's an ability to stand in front of people and be like, yeah, I'll tell you about the Bible. God gifts us with things that are beyond ourselves, that we couldn't do by ourselves, that he does for us. And I believe the Bible teaches that all people are equipped with spiritual gifts. Now, I want to be clear, this passage talks about those outward, appeasing spiritual gifts, those major things. Do not expect to see those, but there are many other gifts that you may not be familiar with. I've got a picture coming up here. This is all the spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible, and it shows you where they're listed at. And so you may have heard, like in the early church, some of the apostles had the gift of healing, which means if you're sick, they'd come lay hands on you and you would be healed. God did that through a person. You should not leave here expecting to do that today. But I can tell you there are people in this church that have the spiritual gift of discernment. That there is something within them, the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to understand and see circumstances and situations that nobody else can see. There are people in this church with the gift of teaching and the gift of wisdom and the gift of service. There's the gift of mercy, which means that while we are all called to have mercy, there are some people whose heart is just naturally drawn to showing grace to other people, even those who have wronged them. God has gifted you with an ability to serve in a way that can help build his kingdom. And the goal is this. God did not save you so that you could sit around and wait on heaven. God saved you so you could bring others to heaven with you. When I walk in, I hope with all my heart I can turn around and go, you guys need a bigger door because we got, you know, we got some people coming. That's what God saved us for. And he gives us the giftings to help us accomplish that in whatever way he sees fit. The second thing, point B, is that God has enabled me to serve. God has excuse me, enabled me to serve. So spiritual gifting is a supernatural ability, something that is within you that is beyond your natural capabilities. But enabling to serve is that God has put us in a position or given us an ability to serve based on where we are at. We are all called to serve. 
There's nobody in this room that can say, well, I'm saved, but God just doesn't want me to serve somewhere. No, God has a calling for you to serve him in whatever way that he has gifted you or enabled you. And and it may look different for all of us, but we're all called to do that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is part of a larger conversation, but it says this. It says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, that's Paul is settling an argument there. It has specifically to do with eating and drinking. But here's what he's saying. He's like, listen, however you handle that situation, and I would think this would apply to all situations, however you handle that situation, handle them with one goal in mind, bringing glory to your God. Whatever you do, whatever situation you found yourself in, whether you live in Batesville, Arkansas, or New York City, whether you work at a big company or a small company, whether you're a mom or or you're a real estate mogul, what doesn't matter, whatever you do, serving God should be an everyday, everywhere thing in whatever positioning he has put you in. This means that we serve God in our relationships. If we have friends who are not saved, what we do is we use that relationship to love them and say, hey, I want you to know my Jesus. If we have friends who are saved, we get with them and say, hey, what can we do with our friendship and our relationship to serve God together? If you're young, use that useful like, energy to do great things for God. If you're older, use that wisdom to do for God and teach others. In everything we do, In everything we do, we do for God. It could be in your position. If you're subordinate, if you work at a company and you're the lowest man on the totem pole, serve God by serving in humility. I will do the best job that nobody will ever know because I'm doing so for the glory of God. If you're at the pinnacle and you own the company or you're the big boss, serve the people below you as an example of love and grace. If you're retired, this is my favorite one. If you're retired, that's not God saying, I'm done with you. That's God saying, I'm setting you free to do more things for me. You now have the ability to do things for God that you never had, or the timing to never do things for God. But here's where I think that this probably plays out for most of our lives. Is that God enables us through our experiences to work through Him. Not a spiritual gift, but our experiences that make us unique individuals can be used to glorify Him. When Jessica and I are gone a few times a year, we, we always go somewhere and we go to another church. And I'll be honest with y'all, I'm ready to go worship somewhere, but I'm also on recon. So you guys know when I come back from another church, it's like, oh, they did this. It was great. And so uh, a couple years ago, we went to Dallas and we went to Matt Chandler or to see Matt Chandler preach. It's not his church at the Village Church. And this particular Sunday, they were talking about um, they were talking about the, the unborn and the value that we have on lives of unborn children. And they were talking about this. And he invited a lady up on stage to share her story and guys her her story was heartbreaking as a teenage girl she got pregnant with with some guy who was just kind of there for a short period of time she was terrified of what her parents would say and what they would think the the boyfriend was like i don't want to be a dad let's let's go for the abortion route And, and she found herself going down the trail towards terminating this pregnancy to the point where she sat in the office and was waiting for the procedure and something last minute, just I, I'm going to say it's the providence of God. I don't know her story, but that would be my opinion. Is something just told her to run. And she ran out. And this particular day, she was able to find people who were able to help her and enabled her to keep her baby. And the reason she was sharing her testimony on this particular morning was because she says, I now run a pregnancy crisis center that I provide for young ladies. And I know how to do that, and I know what they need because my experience, I was that young lady. And now because of my experience, I get to serve. 
that's probably not your story. But you've got some stories like that too that will enable you to reach people, understand people, and love people because they're going through the same things that you've gone through. Here in a few weeks, um, as I told you guys earlier today, we had demolition day yesterday. Uh, we're preparing for a building project, and, and we're going to be working with a ministry that I've just come to love. They're called the Masters Builders. And, and here's what they do. Here's what I heard they did before I contacted them, is that they would show up and do the work for us. And I'm like, that sounds good to me. And so I contacted them, and I love this. I contacted them, and I was like, hey, we've got this building project going on. Here's what we've got. Here's a, here's a blueprint. And you know what this guy said to me? He said, thank God you called me. I said, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to serve y'all by letting you come here. Like, that's what we wanted to do. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to be here in September. They're, they're going to come and they're going to build massive parts and do the electrical of this building for us for free. He said, hey, we just need you guys to provide one meal a day for us. Like, we can provide food, brother. You guys come build it. The average age of the master's builders is 77 years old. The reti retired carpenters who said, I have an ability, I have a skill set. How can I take my ability and serve God? And they travel the country in their RVs, staying at places for weeks at a time, helping build the kingdom of God by building the buildings the kingdom of God meets in. With the skills that they had learned for work. Last example, last example. Many of you guys know Phil Robertson. I, I love Phil Robertson. And if you don't know him, you've seen him. Big beard, always wears camouflage, always talking about Jesus, okay? Phil Robertson has this amazing testimony. He, he, he was uh, the, the worst of the worst. His family was falling apart because of his alcohol and anger problems. And, and he gloriously got saved just like me and you. And he became a Christian. And from that moment on, he has dedicated his life to Christ. The only problem is Phil Robertson has one talent and one talent only. And his talent is duck hunting. But here's what happened is he took this talent for duck hunting and he created a duck call called the Duck Commander and he created this huge company based on that duck call. And from that duck call came a reality series or came, oh, let me take it back, came a bunch of duck hunting videos that turned into a reality series called Duck Dynasty, one of the most popular TV shows around 2010. And if you listen to him, I read a book of his just a few weeks ago. If you listen to him, here's what he'll tell you. He said, everything that has happened in my life to go from a poor duck hunter, he calls himself a river rat, from being a river rat to being an internationally famed celebrity, it's all for the glory of God. And he uses his platform everywhere he goes to share the gospel. And he's unashamed of it. He'll, he'll go places, hey, you want to come talk? Yeah, I'll come talk. And he talks about duck calls for 30 minutes. And then he's like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And hundreds of people have come to Jesus because this man hunts ducks. In 2016, President-elect Donald Trump asked to meet with Phil Robertson. And Phil Robertson said, I had this opportunity to sit down with this man who was months away from being the most powerful man in the world. And I took out a scrap piece of paper and I drew the gospel for him and I explained to him his need for Jesus. He said, I don't know how that conversation went after I left. He said, I know this. He asked me to keep the piece of paper and put it in his pocket. God uses insignificant abilities to do great things. And, and listen, your story, I don't know what it is. I don't know what your particular ability is. There's too many of us for me to go around and list what everybody can do. God has enabled you to serve through your experiences, through your knowledge, and through your personality.
The last way, the last way that God has equipped us to serve, point C, is that God has blessed me to serve. God has equipped me by blessing me to serve. See, God gives us physical, material possessions and things to serve Him with. This is what the Bible says about the world and all the stuff in your closet and that fancy car that we've got outside and that beautiful house that you wanted all your life. Psalm 24, 1 says this, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all His. In a second, He can take it back. He distributes it as he wishes. And here's what Luke 7 tells us. He says that he is a good father. Jesus told us when we pray to God, he said, you pray to him, Abba, Father. That is daddy. Like you go to God like he is your dad and you ask him for things and he gives gifts like a good God. He desires and he loves to bless us. Now, here's what the Bible teaches us when you talk about any kind of material possession in the realm of the Bible is this, is the first thing is that God gives us good gifts. God gives us good gifts for us. Secondly, that with those good gifts, we should be weary of idolatry, coveting, or pride based on the things that he has blessed with us. And third is that those things are given to us to use for God's purpose. The correct way of viewing the things we have, we would call biblically, we call it stewardship. That means that God has given it to me, but it's not mine. It's his for his glory and for his good. There used to be a TV show. Anybody you guys ever watched the old TV show, Dirty Jobs with Micro? Anybody? That's a great TV show. I love Micro. Here's what he would do. Micro had this idea for a TV show. I'm just going to, I'm going to go do the dirtiest jobs in America and video myself doing it and make a TV show out of it. And then all of us are like, oh, that's so dirty. We watched it, right? And there was one episode, I think it was actually the first season, where he went and he worked at a pig farm. And of course, he's rolling in the mud the whole time and the pigs are bodily functions. Anyway, I'll get off that. It's dirty, okay? And at the end of the show, he's sitting on a hay bale with, with the farmer in front of this massive barn full of thousands of pigs. I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar pig farming operation and he's wrapping up the show. He's saying, you know, this, this, is, a, this is what it was. Boy, it sure is dirty. And right before he's about to go out, the, this old farmer sitting on him, you know the old farmer, the overalls, the bald head, the hat that sits on the crown, you know who I'm talking about? He says, hang on. I said, I want to say one more thing. And Micro says, go ahead. And he said, you see all that? Everything that I have is God's. And it's for his glory. Poor Micro. I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's very nice. Well, with that in mind, and then he closes the show. I think about that guy a lot because this guy, I mean, he, he had it going on. He built his life around this farm. And yet what he says is, it's not mine, it's what God has given me. And if it gets me on a TV show where they're going to have a camera and put me on the Discovery Channel, I'm going to take just an instance to use that to glorify God because that's what he gave this to me for. That, that's how we look at our material possessions. Whether it's your house, your car, or your bank account, that is God's gift to you. And it should be used to honor Him and to cultivate His kingdom because He has equipped you with blessing that not everybody is equipped with. Let me, let me say this, and I say this often, but I want you to know you are rich. You're rich beyond measure. And, and I, know, I know some of you are going, well, yeah, I'm pretty rich, but 
I know some richer people. I mean, there's a house around the corner that's quite a bit bigger than mine. Uh, I've got that friend, you know, I know what I make and I know what he makes and his is four times more than me. I'm, not, I mean, I'm doing okay, but I'm not, I'm not rich. And let me, let me tell you, you are, compared to the average person of the world, you are incredibly rich. The poorest person in our community is richer than a lot of people in the world. We have so much that we have been blessed with. And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to shame you. I say that because I want us to put ourselves in the correct perspective to understand what God calls us to do and why we can do that. See, if you view rich not as how many dollar monies numbers and you view it as luxury, the things that not everybody has and that you don't need, you'll start to realize how rich you are. Do we really need 180 TV channels so that we can sit on our comfy couch and not have to work for anything? Do we really need, do we really need phones that could literally, like, well, I said literally, figuratively, that could launch a space shuttle? Do you need the heated seats in the car? Does the house have to be that big? Does the air conditioning have to keep us on a constant setting? Do we need all of this gear for our hobbies? The answer to all those is no, those are luxuries. And I'm not shaming you. There is nothing wrong with that. You have been blessed and you have been given that by God for your enjoyment. And as long as we avoid pride and idolatry and remain thankful, we can enjoy those good gifts. But here's what I want to make sure that you can't walk out of here saying, saying, well, if God had to bless me more, if I had more stuff, then I could serve him with what I have. The Bible says this, and it's statistically backed up, is those with little, those who are faithful with little will then be faithful with a lot. Now the question we have to ask is, for what purpose do we live here in this rich area where God has given us so much when we could have just as easily been born in a poor area of Asia, in the middle of a desert in Africa, in South America or Central America? Maybe we could have been born a few blocks from where we live now. Why, why did God give us this? Number one, because he loves you. But number two, because he loves those around you. And he wants you to use those things for the glory of his good and caring for those that he loves, that you have the same heart that he has. So what does that look like just very quickly? It looks like beginning with giving regularly and proportionally to your church and then being generous with your household and looking for opportunities to bless others with what God has blessed you with. God has equipped you to serve with great and imaginable blessings. And I would encourage you to view yourself that way. Rick, if you want to start to come up here, let's get to the ultimate point here. The ultimate point is this, is that Jesus started something. He came here for a purpose, and his purpose was to pursue people. And you know what? I'm so thankful. He found me. I know you're here and you're thankful. He found you, and you belong to him. But he's not done just because he found us. He's looking for more. And because we have been given the grace, the salvation, the mercy, the blessings, and the ability. He says, you are now my army. Go build the kingdom. So this morning, I want to ask you two questions. The first one is, has God found you? Do you belong to him? It's very simple. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. He paid your sins so that you could have access to God. You could never enter God's presence any other way. And here's what he says. I will do that for you out of the freedom of my love. All you have to do is accept it. If you haven't accepted that this morning, I would encourage you to go ahead and take this moment to say, I want what God has to offer. But if you already belong to him, if you're a citizen of the kingdom with me, we got a lot of work to do. And God has given us the ability. Let's lose our abilities to do what God has called us to do. Let's stand and worship this morning. 
Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, RamseyHeightsFamily.online.